resist the stallions. What was, that, what was the full name? Was it the Wild Stallions? Wild Stallions. Wild Stallions rules. Woo! Who are the Wild Stallions, Greg? Bill and Ted, of course. Wild. Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves in real life. I'm Bill S. Preston, Esquire. And I'm Ted Theodore Logan. Yeah! Wild Stallions! And Jerry, why are we playing Wild Stallions? Because they've officially announced Bill and Ted 3. Wow! So Alex Winters finally has another movie since yeah, Bill and Ted's bogus journey. He must have needed some cash. <laughs> and Keanu said, yeah, I'll throw you a bone. Yeah, Let's I'll do help this. out a friend. <laughs> Keanu's trying to make hay, though, too, right? Because his he's getting more roles since John Wick, but he's also realizing, hey, I think I'm not as big a star as I once was, and I think his star is back on the rise, but this this is the kind of thing that could help re-propel him back into the, the full mainstream, as it were. So. As long as they do this movie right to a certain extent, right? I mean, you don't want to, you don't want it to be hokey, funny, but you don't want it to be a shadow of its former self. Like, I think if they can, can recapture the silliness, it has a chance to succeed. Well, I was, I saw an interview with the writers and the, the synopsis they came up with sounded like it was going to be a pretty good movie. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely the key. And a lot of times these... Uh, creative teams, actors, whatever, they don't want to go back to the well unless it's worth doing. I still think of when uh, Keanu Reeves returned for 24 Live Another Day, which was the, uh, t- <clears throat> excuse me, the 12-part revisited season of 24. And he said, I wouldn't have come back if this if I didn't feel like this was the best thing we'd ever done. I don't know if it was the best, but it was better than the final season. It was a proper send-off for his character, Jack Bauer. So if they come back and it's done right, I'm cool with that. I'm right cool on. seeing them get back. Do you think it'll still be that? What was it? A phone booth? Yeah, I don't know if they'll use a phone booth. Considering try and find a phone booth. I was in Austin, Texas, eleven years ago, trying to find a payphone on uh, is it Broadway or Fourth Avenue? Broadway's Nashville, Fourth Avenue in Austin for blocks and blocks one night where all the bars are because my cell phone had died. Nah. Well, the, the whole point of the, the the phone booth was that it would just kind of blend into the background and no one would think twice about it. You see a phone booth now, you go, what the heck is that? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it would just stick out like a sore thumb. Well, Isn't that where Superman goes to change his clothes? Yeah. yeah. Is that why you like that movie so much? Because there's a phone booth in it? <laughs> that must be it. I think we've tied it all together. Behind the glass, Jerry, Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry. Happy Wednesday morning. It can actually leave the blind open today. Might be able to... Uh, leave it open most of the morning as it's uh, supposed to be cloud. The clouds are supposed to roll away. A little bit of a cooler day today and tomorrow, but then the sunshine and the warmth come back for the weekend. Mother's Day. Don't forget it's Mother's Day this weekend. Don't wait till Saturday. Don't wait till Sunday morning to hit up the Circle K for some gifts for mom. Get on it now. I'm just setting a reminder. Yeah, good. Right now. That's a good idea. Linda needs your expression of affection and to let her know how much you love her. Hi, Mom. Um, So last night, yesterday afternoon, I guess this would have been something called Around the Horn had something to say about Winnipeg. What is Around the Horn? Around the Horn is a panel discussion on sports. Uh, They show it on TSN here in Canada, ESPN in the States. And, well, as you might imagine, with, uh, well, the Jets are essentially one of five teams left alive in the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? And Game 7 going tomorrow night, so we'll be down to four teams. Well, 
As you can imagine, not all the American journalists, sports or otherwise, are necessarily up on Winnipeg, but you would think... You would think the sports people would know more about Winnipeg than your average bear. Maybe not necessarily. Yeah, this is uh, so. This is a segment called that they call before the horn. When and I believe that the tweet read: When you learn about Winnipeg and the Winnipeg Jets before you talk about them on TV. So presumably this is during a commercial break. Yeah, I think it's or, kind of a behind the scene. It's it's a it's a faux it's sort of a faux segment segment, right? Where it's like, "Oh, let's listen in and see what they're talking about now when they it's really sort of a segment." Okay. So here's how it for went. The web. They're talking about Winnipeg. Can the Jets win today? North Dakota, Minnesota. The population Minnesota. of Winnipeg is The population says yes, they can. If you the go demographics down of Winnipeg, you're on the border of North Dakota yeah. and Minnesota. So you've got four panelists, and they're all on their cell phones searching facts about Winnipeg yeah. before they're going to talk about it. Tony Reale, who is the host, who used to be the uh, kind of sidekick guy on PTI, if you ever watch PTI. Pardon the interruption. Yeah, he he's the host of the show. Mina Kimes, Israel Gutierrez, Kevin Blackenstone, and Frank Azola are the panelists on this particular episode. So they're, they're uh, Reali's getting makeup on and the rest of them are, are Google searching on their handhelds. It's not, you don't have to go that far. It's probably not what, that far. 100 miles? Everything except for Edmonton, wow. I think, is Just 100 miles. Just picture where you know Regina is and then go east about <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 600 miles. Just, <laughs> where's Moose Jaw? It's Regina. Nina's a little concerned about the fact that there's a place in Canada named Regina. It is. That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm not saying anything. I'm just glad there's not. It's not the Regina Jets because God knows I would struggle with that on the air. Uh huh. Yeah. On those monologues you're doing on Regina, the Regina monologues. That'll be the name of the book. And now yeah. our female panelist chooses Regina. <laughs> What's the official bird in Winnipeg, Mina? The official bird of Winnipeg is a Canadian Mulva? goose. <laughs> uh, I was going to go with the gamecock. The gamecock was going to be my joke. The official hat is medicine. Mm-hmm, that's right. Winnipeg must be like a Native American <coughs> word, right? Well, that's Mina, like Mina, it. probably not Native American. But I, she does get full marks for understanding that. It's an indigenous term, which is pretty funny when they sort it all out. Indigenous thing, You definitely perhaps. don't want to live there. First Nation. Name what, what did he just say? Frank Zola. You can hear him in the background here. He's a New York guy. Indigenous thing, You perhaps. definitely don't want to live there. Yeah. Thanks, First Frank. Nation. Name comes from the Western Cree words for nope. muddy water. Cree, there you go. And that, that, that kind of that kind of that uh, uh, smaller voice that you can hear that sounds like it's kind of coming through a thing. I think that's their producer in the background feeding them information. Yep. So muddy, so muddy waters, waters. We could have just called them Winnipeg. Winnipeg. Exactly. Who's your favorite? Uh, who's your favorite musician <laughs> of the 1960s, 70s? I, I like Winnipeg. Excuse me. Muddy <laughs> Waters. I mean, please. <laughs> the Winnipeg Jets. It's far higher than Bon Jovi in the uh, yeah. greatest mm. Hall of Fame bands ever. Don't get me Why started on that. Why are they the Jets? The Do they have like a? Or, because you're the Jets for life. Tradition of aviation? <laughs> Huge Top Gun fans. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of hot tubs? <laughs> Winnipeg and the Jets. Jets, Jets. Mm-hmm. Winnipeg and mm-hmm. the Jets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Winnie! Mm-hmm. This is sort of like the Winnie! newsroom when we're getting ready for our show every morning. Similar to this. So a little bit behind the scenes about... 
what might go on when four American columnists, uh, sports columnists, Frank Izola, Kevin Blackenstone, Israel Gutierrez, Mina Kimes, uh, get together with Tony Reale on Around the Horn and prepare for a segment on Winnipeg. U.S. President Donald Trump is pulling the U.S. out of the 2015 Iran nuclear deal, which he describes as, quote, defective at its core. Trump also announced the U.S. will be reinstituting the highest level of sanctions and warning any country not to help the Iranian government. Trump moved forward with his campaign promise to pull out of the Obama-era agreement despite lobbying from European allies. Any nation that helps Iran in its quest for nuclear weapons could also be strongly sanctioned by the United States. America will not be held hostage to nuclear blackmail. Colin Robertson is a vice president and fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and a former Canadian diplomat. He says this is a high-stakes situation. The agreement that President Obama and the other parties, the six countries that were able to negotiate the restraint on Iran producing the material that could go towards production of a nuclear weapon, that was, I think, an important agreement. And there were most of the other partners, the British, the French, the Germans, even the Chinese and the Russians and the European Union, which are the other parties to this, were all advising President Trump to take a different approach, to work within the existing framework. If you weren't happy with what President Obama had negotiated, there was a better way to do this instead of simply uh, pulling out as he has done and reimposing some sanctions. Colin Robertson in conversation with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham on the news yesterday on 680 CJOB, and then he was then asked, where does this leave Canada now? Well, as you know, Canada played a useful niche role in, in terms of North Korea, hosting the Vancouver conference at the request of then Secretary of State Tillerson. And in the case of North Korea, it's difficult for us to be, uh, you know, I think in the, in, in the case of both Iran and in, in North Korea, the first thing we should do is reestablish some sort of diplomatic relations and have somebody up. We should have somebody in Tehran and we should have somebody in Pyongyang because if you want to play, you have to be there. And uh, under the previous uh, Harper government, we had pulled out of both uh, Tehran and uh, we had basically don't have relations with North Korea. But I think we need to get back on that game. If Canada's to play, you have to be there. You have to engage because we do bring something to the table. But to bring something to the table, you have to actually be there. Colin Robertson, vice president and fellow with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and a former Canadian diplomat commenting on U.S. President Donald Trump pulling the U.S. out of the 2015 Iran nuclear deal. Mackling McGarry with you till 10 o'clock. Shanley Vidal, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun. Enjoying the brew along with the omnipresent Jerry Richardson, otherwise known as Behind the Glass Jerry. Jerry, did you find out who drew that magnificent Superman with the G on the chest for you? I have not found out. Wow. It's absolutely... Do you want to describe it for uh, folks uh, that can't see it? Yeah, it's uh, it's like a picture of uh, Superman. Uh, well, Clark Kent ripping off his shirt to reveal the S underneath, but uh, instead of an S, it's uh, it's a G. And then it says BTG just above the S, and and it's a really good drawing. It's fantastic. So we don't know if it was sent in by a listener or it was done by one of our coworkers here. It was just sitting on the board here yesterday morning when I came in. Yeah, kind of cool. Jeff, are you guilty? I can't draw. Can't draw. I would never do nothing like that for him. You wouldn't do anything like that for anybody. I don't know why I even asked you. Manitobans have seven new reasons to explore the province. The province and travel Manitoba has added... 
Seven new star attractions. You may have seen these big blue signs on the highways highlighting really cool places to stop. And, uh, well, seven new places that have that designation, Brett. That's right. They are Island Park in Portage La Prairie, Living Prairie Museum, that's in Winnipeg, the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame, also in Winnipeg, Flin Flon Museum, Falcon Ridge Ski Slopes, that's at Falcon Beach, Sand Hills Casino in Carberry, and Farmery Estate Brewery in Nipawa. So that brings the total of Manitoba Star attractions to 63. So today we're having coffee talking about what Manitoba destinations we would like to visit. And uh, Jeff Braun, why don't we start with you? I'm going to guess it's not Winkler. Ah, no. Um, I, I was, I, sometimes I think about the Narcy Snake Pits, but I'm... I could go either way on that. I don't. I, I would like to see it. I, I don't care if I don't see it though. What I would really like to see one day is just go to Churchill, to go to the just to, not Great even point. so much for the polar bears, just to be at the top of the province. I then feel like I've actually traveled the whole province. You know. Yeah. Is that because you're watching AMC's The Terror and you have no. an affinity for northern uh, parts of Canada wanna, right now? I want to find Tanook, the monster. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't the idea to run away from Tanook? I guess so. Yeah. Well, Tanook is the monster, right? Yeah. yeah. So don't you want to run away okay. from the monster as opposed to heading I don't know. It feels like a noble monster. way to die would be to like just noble. Lunge, your, noble. lunge right at it and I try to fight it. not necessarily yeah. connect noble with your name all the time, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> Kelly Moore? Uh, I think I'm going to go with Brett to the Farmery Brewery in Nipawa. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I actually would like to go up to Nipawa. I, you know, we were invited last year when we spoke to the mayor. I, st- I never did get up there last year. Yeah, to, I wanted to play golf there. Have you have you not golfed there yet? No, I haven't. The McGarry Tour has not hit Nipawa yet. Hasn't gone to Nipawa yet. Oh, I, wow, I, there That's you actually go. where I'm a part of. I've, I've not been northwest of Winnipeg. I haven't been to Riding Mountain uh, I'd like to go up to where in your neck of the woods, to mm-hmm. Minnedosa. You yep. know, there's a whole chunk of Manitoba that I would like to tour around. Geez, so. you could have a birdie, a bogey, and a brew, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot the burger. Okay, the, but we're going to the farmery brewery, though. Yeah, we're not gotta, getting sidetracked. got to have a burger, Kelly. Okay. Yeah, I think that's uh, fantastic. Uh, that uh, whole uh, designation for farmery state brewery in Nipawak is not like... Colin Ferguson pointed out, not only are they making the beer, but they're growing their ingredients right there. It's absolutely fantastic. Shanalee? Um, I was actually looking at the Star Attractions list, and there's a lot of attractions. Most of them I've actually been to, strangely enough. Uh, have well, good for you. I know, La-dee-da. good for me. Whoop-dee-dup-dee-doo. Uh, can I say I love exploring Manitoba? I have not been to the top portion of, of our province. That is on my to-do list. But I was really surprised because I saw something neat that I didn't know about, and I'm hoping to make a side trip to next time I go to Brandon, uh, the Westman Reptile Gardens. So they have all kinds of reptiles. They have crocodiles there and, and spiders, snakes. Sounds like a fun time. I'm so excited. Crikey. By yourself. Yeah, the people who run it, too, are really neat. I believe they've been interviewed on this radio station before. What about you, Greg? You've been everywhere. so No, I, I, you know, it's funny because I'm looking at the, this list. I've only been a couple uh, places, Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame, and uh, to Island Park in Portage La Prairie. 
and that is incredible. I'm going to open the whole conversation about water park in Winnipeg again. Not only do they have an incredible indoor water park at the Credit Union Place and in Porge La Prairie, but in the summertime, they have an outdoor spot that people from Winnipeg flock to an outdoor <laughs> water slide park. It's not gigantic, but it does the trick. If your kids, I would say, up, are up to nine or 10 years old, it's a great place, awesome way to spend the day. So I highly endorse that. And I, I just don't understand why we don't. I know we've got one in Transcona now, right? So yeah. that's that's good. On we, Kildare. We need uh, way more things like that in Winnipeg. So uh, that's my way of uh, needling and restarting the whole water park conversation. Jerry, newcomer to Manitoba. Well, you know, I was going through the list and I and there were some things on there that I didn't see. So I saw the, the Farmery Estate Brewery, I mean, jumped out at me. And I, well, okay, but there's a lot of other breweries I'd like to take a tour of as well. Most of them happen to be inside of the Winnipeg City limits which would be nice because that's you know cab ride from each to each to each so i think i'd just like to do a, a tour of winnipeg breweries you should do uh the winnipeg tasting tours then that's exactly they'll take you to four spots and they you get to go through the breweries and you get to try all the beer uh i can't remember what it costs but uh, <laughs> you're in i'm in okay we'll make a night of it uh, brett what about you uh, oh, I think that yeah, I'd like to get up to Nipawa and and because uh, I think there was a, there was a stretch there where I could do kind of a, like a trifecta of spots, but it would be oh, you mean talking about the golfing action yeah. and then fit oh. everything in? Yeah, if you did, <laughs> is, if you if is you did, it Margaret Lawrence's house up there too? Correct, you're absolutely right in Nipawa. So you could do uh, golf in Nipawa, yep. golf Minidosa, and then go up and do with Sagaming and, uh, and golf at Clear Lake, and then uh, discover with Sagaming. Ah, uh, it'd be a great uh, three three days. Make it three days, two nights. Boom, done. 657 on 680 CJOB. Text us your thoughts. Where do you want to visit in Manitoba? The fire risk is high everywhere in southern Manitoba. You go camping? No, I'm not a camper. I, uh, I've tried it a few times. It's it's just not my thing. Go to the cottage? Friends with cottage? That's uh, occasionally. I, I used to have a buddy with a cabin in Sandy Hook, and I had a friend with a cabin in Winnipeg Beach. So I would spend time out there. Um, but, uh, and I've got rented a cottage in West Hawk. So that I'm okay with. A big part of going to the cottage, the lake, the cabin, whatever you call it, going camping is a campfire. Yeah, that's and right. Commiserating and gathering around the campfire. That may not be an option as we head into what could be the first real weekend, weekend of camping for some folks. And they're combing through the ashes on a Manitoba First Nation as crews work around the clock to prevent further losses. We'll explain that story via Global News anchor Loren McNabb. Residents telling Global News water bombers have been on the go near the Little Saskatchewan First Nation for three days. That's about 250 kilometres northwest of Winnipeg. As many as six homes in that community alone have been lost, the fire reducing them to piles of rubble. Adding to their loss, officials believe the fires were caused by humans. Some people still like to light the odd fire and, uh, and right now it's terrible because it is so dry that it can get right out of hand. People should not burn. Officials say some of the structures that burned were vacant or abandoned, but at this hour several communities remain on alert, including Little Saskatchewan, Gypsonville and Lake St. Martin. Now the fire risk changes from day to day with many communities looking to the sky for help. Global weather specialist Mike Konkin has some startling details on just how dry 
It really is. Yeah, we've had some dry stretches before, but we are bone dry. The last time Winnipeg had rain was April 12th. So that means that we have now had 26 days without any rain here in Winnipeg because we are not going to be seeing any by the end of the day. Now, the last time uh, we saw any measurable precipitation was April 12th, but across all of Western Canada, you can see how dry things really are. So we had a nearly record-setting April, but March wasn't a whole lot wetter. All of the prairies are dealing with this. Most of southern Manitoba has seen less than 13 millimeters of precipitation in the last two months. That is a measly 1.3 centimeters of water. Now, one of the things that uh, Mike was showing on the news last night was a map, was a precipitation map. I'd never seen anything like this, but it was a precipitation map and the bulk of the prairies at least the southern part of the prairies were were brown but then and david phillips from environment canada referenced this the other day when he said southern manitoba in particular is really dry so whereas saskatchewan and alberta are brown uh, most of southern manitoba was red to indicate just how bad the situation is here and he mentioned as well april 12th was the last time we had measurable precipitation i had, did mention last thursday when I went out, it rained just a bit, mm-hmm. like just enough to, to make my car a little dirty because it rains through, like I have a tree that sits atop, above my car in my parking lot, so all the stuff in the tree falls off into my car. It was just enough to make my car dirty, but clearly not enough to count as any measurable precipitation. Is that the 1.7 millimeters of rain that we got in April back uh, on the 12th? Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe, right? Yeah, that's it, right. It's just a, barely a sip. There are fire bans in several Manitoba municipalities, of course, including the city of Winnipeg, which could spell bad news for campers. As mentioned, most parks are open this weekend, but as Global News Joe Scarpelli tells us, fire pits could stay closed. A winter's worth of collected firewood sits in Patricia Enz's backyard. Fire bans prohibit her from burning the logs. It does change the way that we do spend time outside right now. After nearly a month with no rain and little chance of precipitation in the days ahead, fire bans and restrictions will impact the start of camping season this Friday, forcing ends to hold off on going camping. If I can have a campfire, then it's not really camping to me. No s'mores and stuff like that. I mean, what's the point, right? No campfires means no camping for Troy Osmak too. I usually go camping pretty much almost every May long weekend and I can't remember uh, where this is, uh, has been an issue really for the last few years at least. So he made a last minute decision to visit Clear Lake for next weekend's long weekend. We booked kind of like a hotel room and we're going to be going to like a kind of like a party out there this year instead of the camping thing. Manitoba Parks says crews will continue to monitor the ever-changing situation. Just before the May long weekend, there'll be another big assessment done and uh, they'll look at the conditions. Maybe some regions will, will have received some rain by then. Back at Enza's backyard, her logs are on standby while she looks for new ways to burn time. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. Yeah, just looking at the long-term forecast once again here, uh, looking at the two-week a forecast to see if there is any change because yesterday we mentioned there was basically no rain in the long-term forecast maybe a 40 percent chance in like 10 days right there's nothing i know you're going to a, a different website other than environment canada environment canada it's sunny straight through until tuesday 14 friday 17 saturday 22 sunday 26 monday 24 tuesday there is there is some hope this forecast has changed fairly dramatically here. Now, it's still a few days off, but Tuesday, 
there is a 60% chance of, of 5 to 10 millimeters of rain. And again, look now that I realize looking this far into the future, it's going to change every day, mm-hmm. three times a day. But <laughs> Friday, listen to this. Friday, May 18th, 80% chance of 30 to 40 millimeters. So then, then beyond that, there's uh, Saturday, 1 to 3 millimeters, Sunday, 10 to 15, and then Monday, May 21st, 5 millimeters. So it looks like there may be some precipitation on the way, finally. Now, I don't want to con- contradict everything we've been talking about for the last three days, but let me guess, that's May Long Weekend? Uh, oh, I think it might be. <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> hang on. May, yeah, Victoria Day is May 21st. So we may, we may, <laughs> Always for, may the first, uh, for the first time ever, we may be singing the praises of the weather gods on May Long Weekend for, for, per, for providing rain for us on that sacred holiday for a lot of people, the, the beginning of summer in a lot of people's minds. It's always the and it, yeah, May Long is always cold. It's always rainy. I don't know why they don't move it. We need to ask our Good executive point. producer Kim Lawson because it always has to be before Victoria Day. Yes, uh, but why they, they should just we should unilaterally just move it. <laughs> We've got Mother's Day right this yeah. coming weekend. Uh, one more subtle reminder for all the all the sons and daughters out there, and uh, even the husbands and and such, to uh, remember your your mom and the mom and moms in your life. So could you push it to the end of May? I guess you could, yeah. but it's tied to Vic- Queen Victoria's birthday. Well, make me celebrate it the week after because it's, the, it's the, the Victoria Day is always recognized on the Monday, right? So that's in conjunction with what is her actual birthday? Great question. I, I want to say it's the 24th. Something yeah, tells me her actual yeah. birthday is the 24th, right? So yeah. we should celebrate it after that. I think. Do you f- prefer the birthday celebration after or before your birthday if you can't actually celebrate on the exact day? After, because then it extends your birthday Yay! celebration. There See? we go. Yay! There it is. And the weather is always better the weekend after. There we go. We're going to uh, start that movement. It's got zero chance of ever doing anything, but <laughs> we're starting it right now. Good Winnipeg tunes there. Behind the glass, Jerry, always keeping us on topic with the tunes. Thanks for the news and weather, Jeff Braun. Yeah, keep that playing. Little Harlequin. Superstitious feeling is creeping into our show this morning because this is normally a segment that I would kind of lead us into. Well, you you did. This is as far as I want to go, though. (laughs) Don't even want to talk about it. Not really. Well, then let me tell you. What do the odds tell us when it comes to Game 7s? Nashville Predators, Winnipeg Jets, Game 7 tomorrow night in Nashville. And that game will be the 171st Game 7 in NHL history. The Jets are probably going to need some luck, though. In the previous games, and this is where, you know, I know you're a numbers guy, Greg. Yes. Uh, do you want do you want to hear these stats? Yes, yes, because they're, they're, they're facts. So, so I can't hide from the facts. So 171 game ones. The road team has only won 70 of those games, or 41% success rate. It's mm, not great. But if they strike first, it's likely they will be heading to Vegas to take on the Golden Knights because of all the game sevens. The team that opens the scoring has won... 126 times. What did I tell you about Monday night? 
how critical it would be for the Jets to get that first goal. Yep. They ended up with exactly zero goals in 60 minutes of play. So, yeah, the, the first goal is often critical in a playoff game. Obviously, in, in, in games seven, it's, it's very critical. Now, for many Jets fans and some players, it's not the stats that matter. And as we've seen here from Mr. Greg, who couldn't even read this, it's superstitions. Global News reporter Brittany Greenslade explains how both often ride them for the highs and the lows. Whether it's a playoff beard or a game day tradition. Every night during the Jets game, I wear my Winnipeg Jets pajama bottoms with my jersey and my hat. When it comes to playoffs, superstitions can take over. My husband had a playoff beard the other day and I made him shave it off, so maybe it's my fault. Sports fans identify with their favorite teams and players. I also have this little lucky guy. <laughs> Every time I wear, they, uh, they win, except for last night, unfortunately. But <laughs> So I don't know if I'm going to wear them next time. They become emotionally invested in not only their successes, but their failures. So it's like these successes are overpowering. And if there's anything we've done, wear the right shirt, jump over that line, then that sort of strengthens that connection. The things that don't work, we tend to just ignore and forget. And players definitely aren't immune. Jets center Mark Shifley likes to be the last off the ice, even competing against other players in a game of rock, paper, scissors to win. The more central the role a player may have in determining a win or not, the more superstitious they are likely to become. And heading into the Jets' biggest game of the year, some fans say you just have to throw those superstitions out the door. Just uh, believe in the guys that are on the ice and hope for a big win. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. Text message at 204-780-6868 pointing out another stat for Greg. Nashville has lost eight of nine series in which they trailed three games to two. I'm I'm okay putting that, writing that one down and holding on to it. Yeah. And for those of you that are doing the same thing for every single game, whether it was last series and this, remember that the Jets are 3-3 three and three in this series. That's 500 hockey. If you're playing 500 hockey in the regular season, you would have been golfing four or five weeks ago. Yeah. So it, 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 it's not necessarily working. It's not necessarily not working. So just, just keep that in the back of your head. Now, if you're looking for further signs of success in yes, tomorrow's please. game, yes. seven, look no further than the coach. Paul Maurice has coached in two game sevens in his career, both in 2009. 2-0! When he was with the Carolina Hurricanes, both of those game sevens were away games, and Maurice and his team won both. Mm-hmm. He says the excitement in lead-up to game sevens is a lot like what some might feel right before Christmas. We sectioned off our three days. You try to take as many unknowns away from them as possible. We'll fly at the same time. I know what I'm eating tomorrow night. So you do as many things in your routine as you possibly can. And uh, the guys that have had a few more Christmases will sleep a little bit better. The guys that are closer to five years old will be up a little later. Now, Greg, (laughs) do I dare remind you how that 2008-2009 season finished for the Hurricanes? You can, but I already know. Did you tell everybody else? They were swept in the Eastern Conference (sighs) Final by Pittsburgh, who went on to win the Stanley Cup. But some of the stats are in the favor of the Winnipeg Jets here. If they can get that first goal there is a very good chance they are going to Vegas. And thanks to this listener who pointed out Nashville has lost eight of nine series in which they trailed three games to two. 742 on 680 CJOB. Do you have any 
superstitions as it relates to the Winnipeg Jets, text us, 204-780-6868. Brett, do you know where the Parker lands are? You know what, Greg? I do now, but before that, this ever became a discussion, I had no idea. I had never even heard of the Parker lands, and I suspect that I'm not alone. 47 acres of property. It's south of the uh, CPR main line. Uh, that's where the Wilkes, uh, Wilkes and uh, da, 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 Waverly mm-hmm. underpass, that's where they're digging that, is, is just to the east of Waverly and south to the of the rail line is where you will find the Parker lands. Fulton Grove is the name of the development from Gem Equities. It was before City Council the last time we spoke about this several weeks ago, and it was kind of an interesting scenario developing between Gem Equities and the City of Winnipeg because the city had asked for something called a secondary development plan before it would even look at the primary development plan from Gem Equities and Fulton Grove. So joining us to talk about the situation where things have gone, maybe a little bit of a surprise, Kevin Toyne is a lawyer representing Gem Equities. He joins us now. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for joining us. So I was I was kind of baffled by the whole idea that a developer would have to supply a secondary plan to the city of Winnipeg when they were, as far as we could tell, in the loop on what the primary development plan was. was that, why was that a point of contention for the city and why was it a point of contention uh, for your client? Well, the requirement for a, a secondary plan is, is not uh, particularly controversial here. Municipal governments like the city of Winnipeg will, will often require that for certain types of development. The issue is, is that the city of Winnipeg is, is using that requirement for a secondary plan to intentionally delay this development going ahead. Look, this development should have cleared the city's regulatory process uh, months, if not years ago. And, you know, much like the, the protesters who were on the, the property trying to stall development uh, last summer, uh, the city, instead of reducing barriers to development, seems to be putting uh, one barrier up after another for, for reasons we can't uh, figure out. So then if I say why the stalling, that's, is that, I think you just answered the question, can't figure it out. Yeah, it's, it's very strange. You know, this particular development, it's, uh, it, it's one of the things that the city's relied upon to get uh, tens, if not hundreds of, of millions of dollars of, of funding for, for rapid transit. It'll have, you know, in excess of a billion dollars worth of economic uh, impact on the, the city and, and the province, and it'll generate tens of millions of dollars of, of tax revenue for the city. Yet, for some reason, uh, the, the city is doing what it can to, to stall delay or, or to stall and delay and to, to keep this thing from making its way through uh, the process the way that every other development application uh, goes through the process. It's, it's very bizarre. Well, not, not only that, uh, Kevin, when I look at the realignment, some people call it the realignment of the Southwest Rapid Transit Corridor, uh, because uh, originally it was planned to kind of run parallel to the, to the rail uh, road tracks that run parallel to Pembina Highway. And then this about face, this changed several years ago to take it further to the west. You would have almost imagined from an outsider's point of view that it was done almost exclusively to service this massive residential development. Yeah, and, and this particular development at uh, at the Parker Lands, uh, the city has designated it as something called transit-oriented development for years, you know, going back to 2010, 2011. 
And the idea is, is that you have really intense residential development around a rapid transit station because you want people making use of the rapid transit station. But it, for some reason, the city seems to want this particular station, it's called Parker Station, to be a station where nobody gets on and nobody gets off. And, and again, we, we can't figure out why the city is stalling such a, a major economic uh, development uh, right in, uh, in the heart of the city. But now that the city has dropped its objection to needing this secondary plan, the secondary proposal, is that a good thing? Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's a bit of a good thing. Um, you know, look, politicians and, and governments are terrible at, at acknowledging mistakes that they've made. Uh, so they're, they're starting to, 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 to do that here. They've, they've, they've removed one barrier after creating months of delay after, after putting it up. But we, we still don't know what, uh, what the process is going to be. They keep changing the process. We don't know how long it's going to take. They keep dragging it out. And we wanted to, to talk to the city councillors about that on Monday, and they wouldn't even let us speak. So even when we show up and we're entitled to speak, they won't allow us to speak and they, and they won't listen to us. So it, it, it's very frustrating. So, so is it safe to say you don't necessarily know what the next step is? Well, what the next step should be is uh, the uh, uh, secondary plan and uh, another plan uh, to deal with uh, uh, subdividing and rezoning. Those should be going to um, uh, to public uh, public meeting and a public hearing uh, in the next couple of months. Uh, this project has has been delayed long enough. Uh, it, it really should start to move forward, and the city should be fast tracking it. But uh, our our suspicion is, based on everything that's happened to date, is that the city is going to continue to stall this un- until after the election, uh, and 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 continue to forfeit millions of dollars in revenue for, for reasons we still can't understand. It has been suggested uh, at different times that the city is stalling this project in order to in order to artificially reduce the value of that property. Is that fair to say? Well, that's certainly one of the concerns that we have. So that there's there's a, a piece of the property uh, closer to, to, uh, to Pemina Highway that the city has expropriated. And there's a dispute over the value of that land. Uh, the city has been uh, purchasing or obtaining land uh, in the vicinity uh, for uh, north of a million dollars an acre. Uh, yet they're they're lowballing our clients. And uh, one of the, the one of the only explanations that, that we can think of that would explain all of the the delay and the, the barriers that the city's been been putting up is that they're trying to uh, trying to reduce the value of of the property that they've expropriated from our client. Uh, and, and look, if, whether that is the case or whether it's not, uh, it, it, the, the, the delay shouldn't be happening. And I don't want to go too far back in history here, but th- this land was all part of a land swap uh, between the city and uh, developer Andrew Marquez, who is uh, you are representing. That's Gem Equities. Gem Equities was also involved in a redevelopment of the Fort Rouge yards. And that development hasn't necessarily gone ahead as proposed and maybe first envisioned. So there are some who are curious as to how this development is going to happen and will it happen in the way that it's being presented? What, what do you say to the skeptics on that, Kevin? There are a number of people out there, uh, you know, the, the people who were, were protesting on this particular property last year, uh, uh, people on uh, city council in the, the city planning department um, who, who are hoping that, that projects like this fail. Um, but but I think, you know, as, as Winnipeg uh, starts to run out of land, uh, you know, in, in the south end and in other places, we really do need to intensify 
development in in some of the few places of the city where there still is vacant land, and and this is one of them. So I think it's in in everybody's interest in the city of Winnipeg and and in the province for a project like this not just to go ahead, but to be as successful as possible. And I think I don't think there's too many people uh, that, that I know that that don't believe in the concept here. But what assurances are there that this that this vision is going to come to fruition? Are there other partners involved? Is this exclusively being uh, built by uh, Andrew Marquez and and Gem Equities? Uh, give us some insight as to how this finally comes to fruition once all the paperwork is rubber stamped. Well, uh, once all of the uh, once all of the applications uh, have been processed by the city, uh, once all of the the approvals have been uh, granted, then it's going to take some period of time for the project uh, to actually go ahead. So, one of the reasons why we want uh, these uh, applications to be approved sooner rather than later is if they they aren't approved soon, uh, you know, there's there's certain types of of uh, construction activities that don't really lend themselves to to Winnipeg winters. So if if, uh, if we don't get this uh, going soon, uh, then uh, the, the the project uh, will be jeopardized. And and per- perhaps at the end of the day, that is the city's goal: is that if they delay it long enough, the project's not going to go ahead, and there'll just be a big vacant lot next to the Winnipeg Humane Society and a rapid transit station that nobody uses. And and uh, we 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 can't figure out how that's in anyone's interest. Kevin Toyne, lawyer representing Gem Equities, thank you very much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. We very much appreciate your time, Mr. Toyne. And once again, City had requested that Gem Equities come up with a secondary development plan for the Parkerlands, but City has reversed its decision on that. Hey, you will not be enjoying the silence when you go to see an evening with Chicago. That is coming up on Saturday, September 8. Or as our friends at Live Nation like to say, September 8, because that's what it says on the news release in my hand. Ah, I shouldn't. We've all we've all sent out things that were spelled poorly. Oh, boy. Have you seen that poster for Tourism Kansas City? Yep. Yep, I have. <laughs> we. I, I don't think really we can talk about that on the air right now. Well, you. you let's, here's the way you do it. Um, there's a typo where there's a word or there's a letter that is missing. And what is it? Something X amount? I 25 million visitor, visitors annually. Now write that out. Yeah. And then imagine one very important vowel missing from that word. Yeah. How does that work? And then when you, and then from there, you could in, use the tagline, the only thing missing is you, as in the letter. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So, uh, ha Saturday, September 8th, Chicago, Bell MTS Place. Tickets on sale this Friday. Ha-ha. Uh, you can buy tickets at LiveNation.com. Who won the tickets, Jerry? Jeff Penner. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Jeff Penner. Congratulations. What was the question we asked him? It had to do with precipitation. When's the last time it rained? Any measurable rain in, in Winnipeg? And I think the answer was April 12th. That is correct. Yeah, according to our uh, our weather friend, Mike Conkin. And uh, why are you playing so much Depeche Mode this morning, Jerry? I've it, noticed uh, at least there's, one there's other been, song. Yeah, uh, it's Dave Gaughan's birthday. Dave Gaughan, the lead singer of Depeche Mode. It's his birthday nice. today. Nice. Did you, can you, uh, Dave? I like the song, it, It's No Good, if you feel like, feel so inclined. What was All the right. other song you played? Uh, I, I played Personal Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's right. Of course. Now, we mentioned uh, precipitation. Right. May long weekend. 
We were actually surprised to see this earlier because when we looked at the long-term forecast yesterday, wasn't look like a whole lot of rain at all in the next two weeks. Again, I realize this is a long-term forecast, but Weather Network long-term forecast has Tuesday, May 15th, 5 to 10 millimeters, and then looking to May long, of course, because it's the May long weekend, 30, 80% chance of 30 to 40 millimeters on the Friday, 1 to 3 millimeters on the Saturday, and then another 10 to 15 on the Sunday. So that's... I can't believe I'm saying this because I know it's May long and the weather always sucks on May long, but if we get that rain, yeah, we need it. I think it'll be absolutely worthwhile. It's so tinder dry. You may be able to go camping this weekend, but you may not be able to have a fire. Of course, fire restrictions all over southern Manitoba. CN, we've been having the conversation about the possibility that there is a link between trains running in the city and some of the brush fire activity we've seen for Gibraltar, the Forks, Keniston under, underpass area along Wilkes Avenue. CN and the city will be meeting later on this afternoon. CN did send us some notes on that yep. in terms of you know what they're trying to do. And here is from uh, our friend Kate Fenske over at CN, actually. We are closely monitoring conditions throughout Winnipeg and the province. CN takes this seriously, and our crews on the trains uh, are working on the tracks and working on the tracks remain focused on minimizing the risk of brush fires along the railway. And then uh, she goes on to outline a variety of things that they're doing. Uh, that's right. So they're taking, uh, they're stepping up patrols along the railway to look for any signs of fire. They're going to continue to inspect locomotives and other rail car equipment for mechanical issues. They're going to review electronic inspection equipment data that monitors trains for potential mechanical problems that could lead to sparks. Uh, work crews will be in the field equipped with fire suppression equipment, including water pumps and foam, to fight potential fires. And then all field employees monitor trains as they pass, looking for any problems that could spark a fire. And over at on Wilkes, we mentioned the fire yesterday by the Hackers and Smackers driving range and uh, the guy who runs that went out and actually there are a whole bunch of people who in that area who just ran out and dealt with the fire themselves uh, before it got out of control and i just want to make it clear i don't think and we certainly aren't blaming the trains it just it happens trains throw sparks dry hot any sort of uh, sparking action can be obviously uh, very dangerous and can create a fire. So the, the conversation continues between the city and CN. Now, we referenced May Long Weekend. Yep. The fact that it may rain. We're celebrating the rain. There's another big celebration going on that eh, I'm not really all that excited about, but I, I, I may be persuaded. Listen to this. Hi, I'm Tish Cadigan. And I'm Cord Hosenbeck. We're hosting the Royal Wedding live from London, May 19th on HBO. Tish, I'm stuck. Or just <laughs> open the door and step out. I'm stuck. <laughs> Do you, Do you recognize the voices me? yet? I'm claustrophobic. Of course. And I need you to get me the f out of here, okay? <laughs> okay. Oh, I panicked. Oh, my God. I'm cool. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Did that seem as bad as it seemed in there? Yes, it oh. sounded bad. Oh. Oh, I have stress odor now. <laughs> Will Do we Farrell. have WD-40 oh. around here? I'm not getting back into that death trap. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Will. <laughs> Will Farrell and Molly Shannon teaming up to make the royal wedding a billion times better. And uh, uh, HBO says that's actually possible. 
Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 hey, Will, that, Will Ferrell and Molly Shannon are a great team, so that should be funny. We did mention also that we're going to uh, talk about the science of volcanoes. As it turns out, we're going to have to push that off uh, because we got more important news, Greg. What's that? Listen to this. What? Taylor Swift has received a peace offering from Katy Perry before launching a new two. I don't care. <laughs> Eight thirteen on. Did this six- come across the news yeah, wire. It, yeah, it came across the news wire. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Are they, they fighting? Uh, they've been fighting for years. Oh boy. Yeah. At one fifty-five this afternoon, we expect that to be at precisely one fifty-five. Your smartphone should receive. An alert, and that's, of course, if all goes as planned. It is a test of the new national public alert system for mobile devices. Joining us live is Felicia Perillo, who is a reporter with Global News in Montreal. Felicia, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for taking some time with us, Felicia. Earlier this week, Quebec and Ontario tested out their mobile alert system. How did things go in your part of the country? Yeah, that's right. It didn't go so well um, for Quebec in particular. It was uh, the, it was supposed to go out at uh, 9.55 a.m. on Monday morning. Um, the public was alerted well in advance, uh, I mean, um, but it didn't go well. Uh, so 9.55 came, none of our phones went off. Uh, we were all, you know, sitting around uh, wondering what was going on. And apparently uh, what happened was is that a, um, a person that was manually implementing this code uh, included a space incorrectly in the coding that prevented the alert ready system from actually sending that message. So in Quebec, we did not get a uh, message at all. Um, so it did not go so well over here. So no one got a message in Quebec? No one got a uh, alert, which was supposed to be like a sort of ambulance sound alert or a vibration or any sort of message in Quebec. Uh, I hear in Ontario um, at 1.55 p.m. it was sketchy. It was some people got it, some people did not. Um, so, uh, no, no, like the, the mobile alert didn't go so well, uh, in both provinces. Now the minister responsible for such things, uh, Ron Schuler here in Manitoba is reminding us that it is a test. And then part of the reason that they're doing this is to make sure that it works properly. But, uh, just recounting your answer in my head. So it boiled down to one space in one line of code. Exactly. So Palmarex uh, Corp, which is um, the operator of this alert-ready system, um, they have somebody manually inputting this code to send out this alert. And apparently um, the person that was doing that uh, put in incorrect space. So that uh, essentially prevented everybody in Quebec from getting the message at all. Now, in Ontario, um, it produced sketchy results is what I'm hearing. So that was probably more uh, the fault of like wireless, the wireless companies. Uh, but it's, but for us, it was really that, that, that coding error that went wrong. So is there any plan then to have a take two to try it again? Yeah, so I spoke to our uh, public security minister here in Quebec, 
um, about that because people are wondering, you know, or people we spoke to said, well, look, if it didn't work, then how are we supposed to know um, that it works in a real situation? And they said uh, we could only do this test again in this this week. They only have this week to do it because it's emergency preparedness uh, week. So they could only do it this week. So they said, look, we're not sure yet. It hasn't been decided, but if we do decide to do it, um, we'll let the public know. But I mean, it's Wednesday right now and no word yet from the public security minister. So we're not sure if it'll launch again here. So we're spending a fair amount of time talking about this this morning and over the last couple of days. Felicia, were, were people genuinely prepared for this and then when it didn't uh, come was there some concern or was this just one of those uh news stories that is uh, bigger for us than it is for the general public <laughs> well i actually went out and when i did this story on on uh, monday we went out and we spoke to some people some people didn't know it was actually happening. Um, some people did. Uh, but the general consensus was that it was worrisome that we did not get this test alert, because, uh, especially on the phone. So here in Quebec, the, it, it, the emergency test uh, was supposed to be on TV, radio, and, you know, mobile devices. But for P- And it works on TV and radio, just not on mobile. But people that we spoke to say, look, we're on our phones all the time. We're not... On, we're not watching TV constantly. We're not listening to the radio constantly. It's important that we get this alert on our phone. So, yeah, the general consensus was that it's worrisome, and it's it's it wasn't a it wasn't nice. It wasn't it wasn't a good feeling that they didn't get this message. They were they and they want it, and they want a relaunch. So, what kind of messages uh, will these these emergency notifications cover is it are we just talking about weather notifications no we're actually talking about uh weather but also amber alerts or um, any terrorist threats i mean a similar system is already used you know in the united states and it made headlines and maybe a lot of people heard about this earlier this year when an emergency official in hawaii mistakenly sent out an alert about a potential ballistic missile so that was covered uh, you know, heavily made uh, worldwide headlines, I think. And um, so it, it covers really pretty much everything. Um, any sort of imminent danger, um, imminent safety threat, um, you'll get this alert. Felicia, thanks for uh, sharing with us the experience of Ontarians and, and mostly Quebecers who didn't have an experience with this uh, warning system test as we prepare for our own test this afternoon. Much appreciated. Of course. Thank you so much. All right. Felicia Perillo, reporter with Global News in Montreal, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Once again, 1.55 p.m. is when you should expect to get a message on your phone. We're getting some people asking us as well, if your phone is on vibrate, is it going to ring? And that's something I'm curious to find out at 1.55 because I've got my phone pretty much always set on silent unless I'm wander- unless I'm at home in my apartment. And you remember to turn it on after yeah. being on the air for four hours? Because all my ringtones are kind of annoying. They, they amuse me, <laughs> but they... Anger others? Yeah. <laughs> or bother others. Anger is a strong word, right? Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Give it away, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Giveaway weekend is here. It's Mother's Day and giveaway weekend. I don't know if there's a tie in there or not. We'll probably just leave that one alone. <laughs> 
Although there's lots of moms probably like to give away their kids this weekend. Oh, yeah. How's oh, that? And I, I suppose I should qualify what I said going into the... Uh, I said I need a new headboard. Yeah, I kind of looked at you funny there. Yeah. Not, <laughs> I actually just need a headboard, period. period. Okay. I don't have a headboard. And one of my buddies, uh, Gord uh, Timmerman, he found himself once uh, a full, awesome-shaped bed frame. That just he needed to. I think it just needed to be sanded or something. And, yeah. Uh, so I figured, well, if he can find a bed frame, maybe I'll find a headboard. Because all I have is just an old cracked wall. So a headboard would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Kinsley is supervisor of waste diversion for the city of Winnipeg. We've had Mark on the program before. We welcome him back. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Pleasure to be on. We love having you. Person, one person's trash is another person's treasure. That's going to be highlighted this weekend. When does it get underway? Absolutely. Um, I guess dawn on Saturday, you know, um, have your stuff out there. And, um, yeah, make sure it's marked free. Um, there's a, you know, endless list of stuff. But like the when we've talked before about knowing the, the rules of these great programs that we have to, you know, limit the stuff that we're putting in the landfill, know the do's and don'ts. Uh, it's very important. These programs are designed and, and have these, these um, I guess, rules um, for a reason, for safety, efficiency, all those things. So, you know... Just take that into account when you're choosing your things. Uh, make sure anything that you don't want is tucked away and uh, everything that you do put out does have a free sticker on it. And I sure hope that headboard is out there. I hope to find something like that. You never know. I mean, sometimes it really is garbage that, that is on the side, but sometimes people put out some really nice stuff. I know that I, once upon a time, took advantage of the giveaway weekend to get rid of some furniture that I had no more use for, and it was just in good shape. I was actually kind of sad to let it go, but I just needed to get rid of it. Mark, I got to tell you, uh, to pick up on, on Brett's point there in his story, it feels good when people pick up your stuff because it, it beats the heck out of A, having to transport it to the landfill, but giving things reuses is, I think, starting to become more commonplace for us. It's, it's more of a philosophy that we're embracing than maybe a couple decades ago. Absolutely. Um, I always see it as a win-win. Um, it gives people the chance to to, like you say, feel better, um, and it it really is making a difference. Um, you know, some people might think that ah, it's just one item or, or this or that, but for anything that we can not put in the ground for it just to sit, literally, um, is better. And, you know, the, the one person's trash is another person's treasure. That is so true, and um, I've, I've lived it my whole life, and I'm always, you know, getting uh, teas and stuff, but uh, it, it, it does work um and it and it these things are going to better or uh new homes and uh, we really appreciate when people participate in all of our programs that you're making a difference now there's a new bin that i saw on saturday the boys had a baseball game at bertrand arena in saint boniface and in the parking lot two new bins that i'm quite certain i'd never noticed before and it was for textile recycling how brand new are these mark those have been up for about um, just over a month, um, and um, that's um, there's 11 arenas that are participating, and uh, another good uh, waste diversion program. Um, it's very important, and again, I always circle back to people um, getting themselves educated or, or knowledgeable about the different uh, 
rules of these things. So not unlike the other programs, it's very important that people only use them the way they're meant to. So clothing and uh, footwear in good, uh, well, you know what, as long as it's not soiled, I guess is a, is a good word. Um, it, but inside the bin, it's very important not to leave stuff out. But yeah, another great thing. And, and, and like you guys say, um, we're moving forward on all, all this, this waste diversion stuff so that we are limiting landfill uh, use and you know greenhouse gases, all those good things that are good for the environment. Yeah. What so is what prompted you to come up with this idea for for textile recycling? Like we're just talking about if I've got a got a beat up old sweatshirt that's uh, about to disintegrate that I've been hanging on to for twenty five years, uh, rather than throwing it in the garbage, I should I should uh, put it out for recycling or take it to a recycling plant. Yeah. You, these are these are all drop off uh, locations. There is nothing curbside um, for textiles. You know what? There's there's so many great ideas out there um, in the industry that are that are being worked on that are not you know available yet. But this is just another material that um, and and I mean textile recycling has been around for a while. It's just maybe getting a little bit more attention now, especially with uh, you know obviously arenas are well used in in Winnipeg and Canada. And um, yeah, it was just it was one of those materials that. It it does. It just sits in the landfill and and uh, like it it breaks down, but so slowly. So yeah, it just gives it another chance for another life. So obviously you've got something you just don't wear. It's sitting in your closet collecting dust. So why not put it out and somebody will wear it the next day? Whereas opposed to something that may be ripped and stuff like that, there's different uses. Once the um, the companies get a hold of the stuff that is put out, they can obviously put it back on the rack at the different uh, thrift stores and whatnot. But then even the ones that are in, you know, maybe not wearable, but still the fabric is still, you know, enough intact. Those can be used for rags. Um, they've, they find uh, different uses for it. So go ahead and put it all inside the bins. Okay. So yard waste pickup, uh, what week are we in right now? Are we in A or B? I have a feeling we're in B week. So you get your leaves and your yard waste picked up every other week, uh, in conjunction with your regular recycling slash pickup day. Correct, Mark? That's correct. Yeah. And, um, again, not to sound like a broken record, but I really encourage people to uh, find out, you know, the rules. I know we're we're years into this, but it's so important and how you set your stuff out from the container, right? Uh, paper bags, not plastic. Cardboard boxes. Sometimes people forget that because uh, those break down and those go right in with everything else. Uh, Hard wall containers without the lid. Um, and and just quickly, the the bags. The reason why, because people still ask, well, what's the big deal? The plastic it gets shredded up when they when they grind up the material, but then it never goes away, so it stays in the material. So just think of you put it in your garden, and here's these shards of bags. So that's why the plastic it doesn't work. Um, and then you know space between um, your carts if it's the, if it's the same day, just little tidbits like that to just make the the system run smooth. Mark Kinsley, Supervisor of Waste Diversion for the City of Winnipeg. Thanks so much for joining us once again this morning. You're very welcome, guys. Have a great day. Go Jets, go. All right. Uh, he knows what he's talking about there. He does. He absolutely does. And uh, Jeff Curry and I were just speaking out in the newsroom. Uh, if you've got a big item, say you've got a dresser or something and you don't have anyone that can uh, pick that up for you, bulk item pickup, you can have old mattresses, 
Those aren't eligible for giveaway weekend is a prime example. Phone the city, phone 311, and it's a bulk pickup. It's 15 bucks. If I'm not mistaken, very excited which to, to ask introduce Mark about our, new, that. our next uh, guest. I'll go right on your water. We saw her yesterday on Global News Morning, and I thought, hey, she looks fun. I see lots of animated hand movements, and she's written a colorful book. And then I turns out I checked my email, and this is what happens, right? You get so many emails that you miss stuff. Turns out I got an email a month ago on April 16th, and the headline reads, Award-winning author Adrian Kress returns with The Explorers, The Reckless Rescue, the second book in her series optioned by Disney. So I thought, why did I miss this? So we, we reached out to her publicist, and she got her down here ASAP this morning. So Adrian, hello there. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. So Take a breath. Optioned by Disney, that's my first question. What is <laughs> what does that entail? Oh, I mean, there's not too, too much, unfortunately, that I can talk about with that. But generally, I don't actually know. I know that entails <laughs> a lot of me jumping up and down and being really excited yeah. about it. And I also... I, I've said this a little bit, but it's it's really, really true. When you're an author, you're sort of, you know, in your apartment, you're by yourself, you're, well, and your cat, and you're hanging out, and you're doing all your work, and your cat is judging you, by the way. Like, he's looking at you, and if he doesn't want food, then he's wondering why he doesn't get cuddles, and then he lies on your laptop. So it's, it's all, you know, uh, you know, a thing. So to actually have some sense of outside validation, because when you're alone in your apartment working, you have no real sense of... If, are people even reading the book, let alone enjoying it? So yeah. something like that is, you know, kind of swell, I what, guess. It's okay, kind of, whatever, yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you're mentioning the book. The book uh, is yes. The Explorers, and the first book was The Door in the Alley, and the follow-up, the sequel, is The Reckless Rescue, and this book has been nominated for a Manitoba Young Reader's Choice Award, so congratulations on that. Thank you. It's actually the first book that was uh, nominated, just so that it's... Uh, a hundred percent clear. So the door in the alley. So the second one. So the second one just came out a couple weeks ago. There we go. And I think the way, I mean, often, and it's actually very, just sort of a pragmatic thing, I think. Um, so when the second book comes out and when you have hardcovers, which is, you know, the, you know, the fancier ones and it's all very lovely, they tend to be, you know, slightly more expensive. So at the same time as the hardcover is coming out, the paperback of the first book comes out when you have all these books being bought for schools because uh, the Merca is the uh, Manitoba Young Readers Choice Awards. The librarians buy copies of the books for the schools for the kids to read because the kids vote on it, which is so cool. Like This is an award awarded to you by kids. So I need your vote. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so when you're doing that, you definitely like to have like the paperback. I think that makes you know, a lot more more sense. So what that. age group are these books aimed at, uh, Adrian? Eight, eight to 12. Although I'm a huge fan of children's literature. Like often I'm asked, why do you write books for kids? And I sort of, well, I, I don't. I, I write books that I like to read. I write the books for, for me. Um, so I personally like to say eight and up. Um, and uh, honestly, I think the, the, the best of these sorts of books, and I guess I'm placing mine in that category, um, can be re read on two levels. There's enjoyment for kids, but there's also enjoyment for adults. Sort of think of a, of a, of a Pixar film that way. AdrianCress.com is the website. It's spelled A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E-K-R-E-S-S.com. -S She's an author from Toronto. Who are the explorers? <laughs> 
Oh man, that's an epic question. Well, I guess、uh, the our two leads they become explorers. They don't start as explorers.、Uh, they're two kids, Sebastian and Evie, and they don't they they've never met before, and their friendship sort of grows over the course of the series. But the actual sort of explorers from the title The Explorers is a team of explorers called the Philippendulous Five, which is a lot of fun to say. Would you like to say it? The Philippendulous Five. Philippendulous. Julas. Okay. okay, there you go. See, but it's Philippendulous Five. Yeah, right. It feels it's. What is it? What is that? What does that mean? I, it's sort of like hanging by a thread, I believe. Okay.、Um, it's just quite frankly a really cool, fun word to yes, say. Yes,、yeah, absolutely. And it looks cool. That's the most important thing. <laughs> so this is a formerly famous exploring team that maybe around twenty years ago disbanded under mysterious circumstances, and the kids have to put this team back together in order to rescue its leader, who also happens to be the girl Evie's grandfather. So those are the explorers and. There are five of them, including her grandfather's, that they're trying to reunite. So in book one, we meet one. In book two, we collect another, and then, spoiler alert, in book three, we get the the last two, and then we go to try to rescue her grandfather. Suspended by or strung upon a thread, Philippendulous. <laughs> I was right. Oh, phew. Oh my goodness.、Uh, so yeah, we see that. I mean, you you looking at your website that not only are you an author. But you're also an actor. I am an actor. Yes, yes. What have you?、Uh, what kind of stuff? Have oh you done? man.、Um, well,、uh, mostly theater.、Um, I'm. I'm. <laughs> when you say this, it, it sounds very posh. But I'm a classically trained actor in theater. I I studied. Acting from the age of eleven, I went to art schools、uh, from eleven all throughout university. I majored at U of T, and then I went、uh, across the pond to London, and I studied at one of the theatre schools there. And、uh, yeah, and so a lot. Let's just be honest, like like a lot of Shakespeare, a lot, a lot of Shakespeare. But for some reason, and this is, I think, very interesting. If I do say so myself, I have been in a lot of not a lot, but several horror films, and I cannot handle. Anything scary? I, I'm the biggest one. This isn't even. Oh, isn't this fun? We'll watch a scary movie, and Adrian will scream and like cling on to you. No, I'll just cry. I'll just sit there and weep and shake a little bit. So I can't watch scary movies. And the most、uh, recent one I did was a sci-fi、uh, original film called Never Knock. And I was also. If, if there are kids, this is a. Higher-rated film. <laughs> my character had a lot of. I had five hours of makeup. I was in like this burn. Like I was supposed to have been like burned alive. This sort of thing. Oh, pleasant. I, yeah, lovely. And I love. I actually love watching the process of getting the prosthetics and the five hours in the chair. But I was looking at myself for this long. Then I'm on set. Then eventually I'm getting the makeup off, and it's an overnight. And so that really messes also with your your mind a little bit. I get home. I'm no no more makeup. Just, just remember, I look like me again.、Yeah. I go home, I get in the door, and I feel this pit in the stomach feeling, and I realize I'm scared of myself.、Oh、like my. I, I, I go to bed and I'm lying there, and I just have visions of myself in the makeup. I'm like, can't sleep, clown will eat me, you know, Simpsons style. So yes,、yeah, so that's that's the weird thing. I have been in a lot of.、Um, Horror films, even though I can't watch them at all. Well, we're going to find out a little bit more about that <laughs> and a little bit more about your writing. Her name is Adrian Cress. She is the author of The Explorers: The Reckless Rescue. It's the follow-up book to The Explorers: The Door in the Alley. It's aimed at ages eight and up. Because I'm with you, Adrian.、Yes. I like、uh, I like kids' books too. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> they're the best, they have some of the best stories. And by the way, Philippendulous is spelt with an F, not a PH. If you're trying to look it up. Yeah, it's kind of like、uh, how the Philippines is spelled with P H, 
But if you say Filipino, it's spelled with an F, right? Very good correlation. Yeah, Mr. that was McGarry. well done. We're having fun with our new friend, Adrian Kress. She is an author. The book series, The Explorers, the second in the series is The Reckless Rescue. That's the sequel to The Door in the Alley. And The Door in the Alley is up for a Manitoba Young Person Reader's Award. Very, very cool. Adrian, uh, website, adriancress.com. These There's two books in this series so far, and you say there's going to be a third and a fourth. Um, how many books have you published so far? Um, well, I, I have published seven. Great. I have written more than that, but uh, currently seven have been published. Uh, just to correct, there's actually, it's a trilogy. There's oh, only the, the three, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's I, I can't quite believe that. Uh, when last, uh, last fall was my 10-year anniversary of being published, and I was like, wow, that... That's kind of crazy, especially because for the longest time growing up, I was so focused on the acting. I had sort of blinkers on about the acting. And it was sort of now that I think about it kind of ridiculous because I always wrote. I took all the creative writing courses I could. My dad taught creative writing, so I would have you know personal lessons at home. Um, so the fact that I didn't go, I want to be a writer when I grow up now sounds crazy. But it's been, yeah, it's been 10 pretty awesome years of, of uh, writing and being published and getting to meet lots of cool people and especially getting to meet a lot of really great kids. Do you still hammer things out on a Commodore 64? <laughs> <laughs> no, alas. I remember, so my, I, I did play with it a little bit. It was, you know, my dad's computer. So basically when I was younger and I couldn't even write, I would tell him a story and he would type it out and, and then on, on the Commodore uh, 64. But I remember... I don't even know what he was doing because I was so young, but he used to sort of, I guess, hit the space bar when we watched the cursor, like go across in green across just the, the, the screen of the, of the computer. And I guess he would sort of like make up characters like, is like, oh, we're getting to the end. Oh no. And I, I have such a vivid memory of playing this non-existent game. Uh, and then later when I was a, a little bit older, uh, there was an, an Olympics, a summer Olympics game that you could play with very pixelated people oh, that you can yes. make dive off of. Yes, and I was, yes, I was yes. really bad at it, really bad. But I was obsessed, but I was really bad. Did you have the obnoxious dot matrix printer to go with the Commodore yes. 64? Yes, but also with some other ones. I, and, and, it, and it had the, you know, the, see, now I'm doing hand gestures. That doesn't work on the radio. It has uh, the bits along the side with the little holes that, you know, that's the, the, the thingy. And the sound <laughs> yes, yes. is so loud and it's just this piercing. And you're like, you you, you go, all right, hit print for five pages. Let's go downstairs and watch a movie. <laughs> like, it was, it was amazing. Uh, and then the very first, oh, wow, memories. The very first um, uh, picture that we printed off was a very tiny, tiny, like inch, square inch of, that was my dad's face. Wow, just lost my voice there, my dad's face. And, uh, and it was just basically shadow and light, and it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Well, if you want to read something cool... <laughs> AdrianCrest.com is the website where you'll learn more about The Explorers, The Reckless Rescue, and that's book two of three. The first book is The Door in the Alley. Hey, thanks for coming down here in such short notice. Oh, no, thank you for having me. And I had my, my taxi driver was amazing. It was such a great team effort. We got down here and plenty of time. Behind the glass, Jerry. Is that more Depeche Mode? Absolutely. Yeah, one last time. Depeche Mode. Whose birthday is it today? Dave Gone, the lead singer of Depeche Mode. Yeah, for a million dollars, I wouldn't have known that Dave Gone was the uh, lead singer of Depeche Mode. Sorry, Jerry. I know how much you love them, but uh, no, that's uh, out of our wheelhouse. 
Depeche Mode, know a few of their songs, but that's about the extent of it. They're an iconic 80s band. Yeah, fair enough. They are, but they're no U2. They're no Van Halen. Anyway, moving along. Uh, <laughs> plans for your retirement? Brett, see how I just threw that in there? <laughs> what they, they don't have anything to do with each other. <laughs> no 80s, one's iconic, it. iconic 80s bands. The, you know, like, come on. Uh, how are you doing with your retirement plans? Uh, my retirement plan is probably just hope for death. Oh, come on now. <laughs> I don't think I have enough money. I don't think I'm going to have enough money. All right. Well, I think we can fix that. Uh, members of the Investment Industry uh, Regulatory Organization of Canada are in Winnipeg. Uh, IROC, you may have heard it uh, referred to as that. Last night, the group made an appearance at the Manitoba Legislature Standing Committee to have their say on something called Bill 23. It's proposed legislation to amend the Securities Act. To find out how that discussion went and why they feel it is important to pass these amendments, we are joined by Elsa Renzella, Senior VP of Registration and Enforcement for Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada, a.k.a. IROC. Elsa, good morning to you. Good morning. So why is this so important that you had this conversation? Maybe uh, back up and and tell us a little bit about Bill uh, 23 and what what this update uh, and amendment uh, looks like for the Securities Act. Well, um, you know, Bill 23, um, one of the uh, the key amendments um, that addresses consumer protection is uh, giving IROC, um, our organization, the ability to enforce our fines that we impose against uh, investment advisors who uh, engage in wrongful misconduct, which uh, typically involves uh, losses to, uh, you know, regular Manitobans who uh, work hard for their money and want to earn uh, um, some good returns for their retirement. Now I see that last year, over 1,100 complaints. What kind of complaints would you receive? Well, um, it's, it, there's a, there's a broad, uh, there is a variety of it, but I, the top complaint that we receive from uh, the public is uh, related to suitability. So the complaint is that they, uh, they, uh, they, their advisor uh, put them in risky investments when they shouldn't have, and as a result, uh, likely ended up uh, losing money for the clients. So, uh, so what, what are you looking to change here then? And in terms of being able to enforce these uh, fines, what, what, what's the hope there? What's the hopeful ramification of that ability? Well, you know, the, the whole idea of um, having this ability to enforce our fines is really to ensure accountability to the advisor who engaged in wrongful behavior. So we discipline them for wrongful misconduct. This bill will allow us to ensure that these fines can be collected. The broker will know that and the public will know that these are real consequences. And um, as such... Uh, people will, uh, those, these individuals and future advisors will be deterred from engaging in this type of conduct in the future as well. So it sends a real strong message that we are doing everything we can to protect investors. We are deterring the um, advisors that we regulate. And we're telling the public that when we do enforce the rules and we do discipline, that these penalties, these sanctions are real. Well, and indeed, I see that out of those 1,100 complaints that you received last year, uh, seniors represented almost 40% of the cases and approximately 30% of the prosecutions of your prosecution. So what does an, what does an IROC prosecution entail? 
Um, it uh, well, it, it is a uh, um, it's very similar to a court proceeding in the sense that if we we investigate, if there is wrongdoing, we have um, the evidence to establish it. We have to hold an administrative hearing where we um, uh, we establish our case. Um, the other the the person facing that disciplinary action has the opportunity to be heard. Um, call witnesses, so it very much looks like um, um, like a, a trial proceeding, um, and uh, we have a three-person member uh, adjudicative panel that rules on it, and um, we, um, uh, you know, and they rule on whether the rule has been breached or not. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, all this is to ensure that we uh, that we go after and we prosecute those individuals who breach our rules. So we can protect those investors who lose money. Are there changing rules uh, in terms of how advisors, uh, the role that they play versus the brokers that they represent and the different products that they sell? Have those rules changed a little bit over the last several years, Elsa? Um Sorry, can you repeat that question again? Are there changes in terms of who's responsible for for the these sorts of fines that may be imposed? Is it the advisors versus the brokers? Did brokers have a higher uh, a higher rate or a higher level of accountability? Has that been been changed to the individual advisors over the last several years? Well, um, the the advisors, um, you know. We've always maintained a high level and high standard for both the firms um, and advisors. Um, uh, a significant uh, portion of our cases focus on the uh, advisors or other uh, individuals who are registered with us. They can be in higher level management and compliance positions. So um, the standards have remained the same. Um, and, you know, it really comes down to the type of misconduct and what is the appropriate penalty that uh, should be imposed against them. Elsa Renzella, Senior VP of Registration and Enforcement for Investment, Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Hey, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. And if I could just add before I leave, I just really, I wanted to thank the Manitoba government for giving us that opportunity last night. Um, it was, uh, um, it's an important bill for consumer protection. The government um, is uh, taking great uh, inroads to advance this bill. And from what I can tell last night, there was broad support across all parties um, um, that were on the committee. So, um, I'm very happy and supportive, and we uh, want to make um, every effort to protect Manitoba investors. Well, before we let you go then, uh, you say that this, the discussion, you, you think it went well. What is the, the next step in this process? How close are we to getting this pushed through? Um, well, my understanding is right now, after they've heard from uh, from us and uh, um, and other speakers, they are reviewing the legislation, and we anticipate or we're hopeful that there will be a speedy passage of the bill very soon. Thank you, Elsa. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shanna Lee Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. And then-